Welcome to an HBO podcast from the HBO Late Night series, Real Time with Bill Maher. Start the clock. you're happy today <laughs> because <laughs> the G7 that's the you know the big boy uh, economies of the world they have a they're meeting every year in a different country and Trump announced that they're holding next year's G7 summit at the Trump Doral and Golf Resort <laughs> no relation <laughs> I, <laughs> the headline on Fox News was Trump finds the G spot I, I, I <laughs> I can't even keep up anymore. And, of course, this is such a ginormous violation of the emoluments clause in the Constitution, right, that says presidents cannot accept anything of value from a foreign country, like, for instance, large convention of rich foreigners in your hotel might qualify. (laughs) You remember the Constitution, don't you, Republicans? That thing you used to hold up when you screamed at Obama for nothing? And, you know, it's it's not just that he's... Not just that he's always breaking the law, it's that he obviously wants you to know about it. (laughs) The Joker doesn't want to get caught this bad. (laughs) This is... This is Trump's idea of three-dimensional chess. I will distract you from impeaching me by committing more crimes. (laughs) It's like... It's like he he comes home and Melania says, that lipstick on your collar, and he says, you should see my dick. (laughs) Uh, And... And, you know, his his acting... Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney had the nerve to say that, you know, they looked all over the world for the best... all over the country for the best spot for the G7 meeting. And, you know, it was just perfectly logical that it would be there. We didn't... It wasn't because he was Trump. He said, it's it's almost like... He said, this... Almost like they built this facility to host this type of event. He said... (laughs) When he was reached for comment inside of Trump's ass. (laughs) And... And, you know... Of course, putting it at Durrell was Trump's idea, and once Trump gets an idea in his head, it never goes away. Unlike his casinos, his wives, his hair, and the Kurds. (laughs) Oh. The Kurds. Good news, we finally found someone in the Middle East to greet us as liberators. Bad news, it's ISIS. We let a lot of the ISIS people out. But if you haven't been following this story, Trump last week gave Turkey the go-ahead to invade Syria and kill all the Kurds. And then he got mad that they went and did so. So he asked Mike Pence this week to interrupt his busy schedule of standing in the background. (laughs) 
and go to the war zone. And, you know, Mike Pence is not afraid of a war zone. Uh, when he sees someone kneeling at a football game, he runs like a little bitch. But a uh, <laughs> war zone doesn't bother him. So... So Mike Pence was sent over there to the war zone to deliver Trump's message to the Kurds. And that message was, hey, you know that war I just started? Okay, we're going to skip to the end. You lost. <laughs> and Mike Pence said, I'm declaring a ceasefire, which means you get to run for your lives while the Turks reload. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I say ceasefire? I meant grease fire. <laughs> this is... This has got to be the ultimate if Obama did it, right? I mean, we are bombing our own equipment there in the Syrian desert. We just lost Syria. Syria is now being taken over by Russia, Iran, and ISIS. Trump has created the only place in the world that is more anti-American than Berkeley. (laughs) And so... So Wednesday, he has Pelosi and Schumer into the White House to talk about what the fuck are you doing in Syria? And he has a meltdown because Nancy Pelosi said, all roads with you lead to Putin. (laughs) Trump said, how dare you accuse me of having a plan? (laughs) Uh, I'm telling you. When your shit is too crazy for John Bolton and Rick Perry... Because that's who quit in the last week. Perry today, Bolton about a week ago, Bolton got wind of what they were doing in Ukraine and said, fuck that. He said, World War III, I'm all in, but that's cray-cray. That's <laughs> not... And the sad news today, Rick Perry is resigning as energy secretary. No. He said after almost three years on the job, he accomplished what he set out to do finding the employee restroom. So, (laughs) he, uh... (laughs) He said he'll miss everyone at the department. We just want to (laughs) spend more time locking his keys in his car. (laughs) He's not a bright man. And then Mick Mulvaney, the guy I mentioned before, not have a good week. Uh, He's not quitting, not yet. But uh, he is the acting chief of staff. You know this. He's, he's got a, a other big job. He's the head of the Office of Management and Budget. Running the White House is his side hustle. <laughs> so the whole defense of the Ukrainian scandal, which is why he's getting Im- Trump is getting impeached, is there was no quid pro quo. No quid pro quo is the new no collusion. <laughs> Mulvaney gets up there yesterday and says, oh, fuck yeah, quid pro quo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We, we are total quid pro quo people. That's all we do all day is quid pro quo, quid pro quo. <laughs> and then he says, but it was absolutely appropriate. So appropriate, he had to go out there hours later and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> you thought I said quid pro quo, that it was okay to do quid pro quo? No, I said tic-tac-toe. <laughs> tic-tac-toe is okay. I, I said... <laughs> oh, I, it was a... Taekwondo is fine. I they're the, ca- they're the gang that couldn't do treason straight. All right, we got a great show. We have Daniel Plepka, Danielle Plepka, Sam Stein, and Thomas Chatterton Williams. And here a little later, we'll be speaking with our good friend Neil deGrasse Tyson is here. But first up, 
She was President Obama's national security director and United Nations ambassador, whose new memoir is Tough Love, My Story of the Things Worth Fighting for. Susan Rice. Hey. How you doing? Great to meet you. How are you? Okay. Okay. Now... <laughs> First thing I wanted to ask you, you're Susan Rice, you know in show business, everybody gets mixed up at some point with somebody else, right? right. Everybody. Doesn't... Okay, there are people who have thought I was Bill O'Reilly. That's unfortunate. I'm never going to that strip club again. <laughs> but I just had... Some people must do think you're Condoleezza Rice. It happens. It used to piss my mother off more than anything else, my late mother. When she got asked, are you Condoleezza Rice's mother? And we have... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we have ties to Stanford. We were both national security advisors. We're both black women named Rice. And so, you know, it happens to me in airports. It happens to me all over the place where people say, you worked with President Bush. Yeah. <laughs> you were President Bush's national security advisor and secretary of state. No. But the funniest time was when I was visiting China for the first time as national security advisor on my own mission on behalf of President Obama. And I met with mm-hmm. President Xi, and I'm setting up a summit, and CCTV does a whole big uh, spread on the nightly news, and they say, you know, Susan Rice is in China to see President Xi, and they put up Condi's picture. Oh. <laughs> that shit happens to black folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you could come here to HBO and say it for real. And one thing I saw was very interesting in your book, you mentioned your mother. Uh, you made your career partly as a mediator, and you sort of learned that because your parents were squabbling. And more you than were squabbling. More than, but as a very young girl, you say seven years old, <laughs> you were doing diplomacy at home. Well, unfortunately, uh, my brother and I were living in a house that was a tinderbox. I had two really wonderful, extremely accomplished parents, but they had no business being married. And right. their breakup was very ugly and sometimes even violent. Um, and I'd be trying to get to sleep upstairs as a little kid, and if I couldn't, I'd run downstairs and sort of spy on them and see how bad it was. And if it was really bad, I'd go in there and try to break it up, sometimes physically, but also sometimes mediating between them, trying to listen to each side and help them. You did come shuttle to diplomacy. Breath. Well, in it wasn't your even house. shuttle. It was, you know, yeah. like proximity talks in, in my own house. But I bet you that served you well in the job. Well, it turned out, but that wasn't the plan at the time. No, I was just trying to not. keep my house from burning down. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of houses burning down, uh, yes. I, I, I just have to... What you must think with what went on this week and the last week in the Middle East. Now, I remember from decades people talking about who lost. That was the... Who lost China, right? right. Who lost... Who lost Syria, you know, I saw the Turkish defense minister put up the new map of Turkey with a big chunk of Syria he bit off, parts of Iraq, Greece. Uh, you know, I remember when George Bush went into Iraq in 2003, the idea, embraced by some liberals, was we have to remake the Middle East. We're going to put a, a democracy in the heart of the Arab world. Okay, that didn't work out. But Trump and Bush together... They have remade the Middle East. Well, Trump especially in, in the last uh, week. It's amazing. What well, you, Iraq, how much Iranian... Or, yeah, Iraq... Now, Syria. But Where do you see this going? It's going nowhere good. I mean, what Trump has done in Iraq uh, and now Syria is, in effect, to cede a portion of northern Syria, Kurdish homeland, to the Turks and to 
evacuate the Americans as if it's, you know, his Saigon. We've left our Turkish allies homeless. They're now going to scatter throughout the region. We've given Assad and, and Putin and the Iranians a green light to take over that territory that they've been long wanting to take. Uh, and is go- ISIS is going to come back. But Assad is going to be okay with Turkey biting off a chunk of his land? Well, if you're, if you're Assad, last week you were missing a third of your country. Uh-huh. Now you're just missing a little sliver on the top. Wow. That's, a, that's not bad for it- one week's work. And watching Republicans not get that upset about this, more than upset than we've seen, but not to the point of we should get rid of them, must infuriate you having lived through Benghazi, that that was something that required hearing after hearing after hearing. Eight congressional inquiries. Yeah. There's really no comparison. I mean, look, it was not a good thing that happened in Benghazi, but the idea that anyone could have stopped that? Well, Benghazi was a horrible tragedy, right? We lost four Americans, including the ambassador. But what we're going to lose as a result of what Donald Trump has done in Syria is we're going to have a whole terrorist resurgence as a result of his pullout. Uh, so we'll see the, the ramifications of that in American and allied lives, I think, I'm afraid, for years to come. You know what worries me is I think back to 9-11, and I, I imagine after it happened, bin Laden was saying to himself, wow, I, I didn't think they would destroy themselves this easily. I knew this was going to be a win for us. But we knocked down those buildings. They overreacted. They attacked the wrong country. They spent trillions of dollars. The Homeland Security Department, that's a big bloated bureaucracy. This whole mess. Putin, in 2016, spent a pittance and got Trump elected, or certainly helped. What do you think about the fact, that idea, that we're just... It's just too easy to get Americans to destroy themselves. Well, what is, I think, happening now and what Putin's genius is, is that he understands that we're so divided internally. And that, in, I argue in my book, yeah. Tough Love, that our domestic political divisions are, in fact, our greatest national security vulnerability. We can't get stuff done. We can't build infrastructure. We can't invest <clears throat> in technology to beat the Chinese and artificial intelligence. But we've also found ourselves so pitted against one another that all Putin had <clears throat> to do was jump in and exacerbate those divisions, pour salt in the wounds. Uh, And we are now almost like a flesh-eating disease eating ourselves alive. I think we have the ability to fix it because it's a problem of our own making, our domestic divisions. Well, we have to stop hating each other. Absolutely. You know, I mean, to me, the Rubicon was crossed when one party, the Republican Party, said, and you see the T-shirts at Trump rallies, I'd rather be with the Russians than the Democrats. We never sort of went there. Like, yeah, I don't like the other political party, but I'm not going to go over to a foreign country. That's, to me, the big difference, when we somehow went there. How do you get back from that? Well, Bill, I mean, it's horrible. And to say you'd rather be with, you know, our enemy than your fellow American is, I think, a new low. But you get back from it by what we do as individuals in terms of our personal relationships, listening, hearing. It's what we do as a, a nation where we really need to change a lot of the rules of the game, which are ex- inviting these extremes to be empowered. I think we should and stop talking politics to each other. No, well, we can't, That's part of it. Well, we didn't used to do it all the time. I've we had a, no idea how much we hated each other. I've got a very conservative son. A conservative son? I've got a very conservative son and a very progressive daughter. And my husband and I are in between. And one thing I've learned from having those differences in my very home at my dinner table is... 
we can't talk about it all the time because we drive ourselves crazy. But you can't not talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we've but got not to all the time. Each other. And then we've got to do some stuff, I think, at a national level, like mandatory national service for all Americans 18 to 22. Think about it. If for 6 to 12 months, if for 6 to 12 months we all had to work together and we, we had to understand each other from, you know, some rural kid from Idaho having to work with some kid from the South Bronx. Right. That would, it's hard to hate people when you actually know them. All right, last question. Edward Snowden. Got a new book. I'm trying to get him on this show. Yeah, yeah, he's in my book. Um, I know. You, I mean, you're not easy on him. No. You say he has done immeasurable damage. Yes. He says the opposite. How you, do you, you know? Uh, well, I, I'm asking you. Yeah. I mean, and I usually side with people in your business. I was never one of those liberals who said, oh, no, I don't trust the CIA, I don't trust the FBI. I do in general. I think they're patriots. You're right. So I don't think Edward Stone is a, is a traitor like Alden or Walker, people who did it for money, who were trying to sell out their country for themselves. I think he really thinks he's doing a good thing. But what say you? You say he's I a traitor. I call him a traitor, and right. I mean that with great sincerity. I say that because I know what he did. He stole right. the most sensitive information. You know things we he don't. He gave it to people who had no business having it. He's sitting in Moscow living high on people? the hog. Yes. We are... You know that. I do know that. Okay. I know we are profoundly less secure as a result of what he did. We're trying to recover, but that recovery is going to take a long time. And let me tell you, the reason I'm so blunt about what he did in the book is because I know quite how bad what he did is. And... I'm not here to ascribe motives. You know, maybe right. he did it for what he thought were benign reasons. But the impact of what he did is what I want people to understand and why I go so far as to, to use a word that I have not yeah, used no, before. Yeah, no, no. I get it. I, I, it's so interesting that the Democrats are the ones now who understand what treason and patriotism is. We understand what national security is, too. I know you do. Susan Rice. Thank you. Don't ever say... Great to meet you. Thank you so much and for your service. All right. Let's meet our panel. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Danielle. Okay. All right, he is an MSNBC contributor and the Daily Beast politics editor, Sam Stein. He's a New York Times contributing writer and author of Self-Portrait in Black and White, Thomas Chatterton Williams. I love that name. I'm going to call you Sir Thomas Chatterton Williams. She's senior vice president of the American Enterprise Institute and an NBC analyst. Danielle Pletka is back with us. How you doing? Okay, I'm going to pick up with what I was saying there. Who lost Syria? I heard this word a lot growing up. Who lost a country? The Russians now are taking over that northern part of the country. We're bombing our own equipment. I've, I've used this phrase before, patriotic immunity. Why did the Republicans get this patriotic immunity? Why can they do shit like this? <laughs> can you tell me? No. <laughs> well, I, there's no real answer to this. It's, it's a baffling foreign policy decision. Um, I don't know the motivation of it. I can guess at the, what the motivation is. Um, but in the end, the results are catastrophic. There was and no motivation. He just wanted to get off the phone. It's possible. There I really is, do. Th I really think that's all it was. He was talking there, to Erdogan. Is, the hot pockets were ready. There's this. And he said. <laughs> and he said, "Really? I don't. I think you." Come on. 
I mean, yes, that's possible. Isn't that more charitable than saying you planned it? No, I, 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 I assume that the Hot Pockets were, in fact, ready. Um, <laughs> but, but you can't talk about... You, you, it's not just about Donald Trump. This is about Syria. 500,000 Syrians died from 2011 right, to, to now, most of them under the Obama administration, I should add. O that, Obama was the president of Syria at the time? Uh, Donald Trump is not the president of Syria either, my dear. No, but but could could any president have stopped that in Syria without yes. a full-scale U.S. Absolutely. invasion? Absolutely, we could have really? done much more. In fact, we didn't okay. support the Kurds. You know, we only turned and, st and started supporting the Kurds a few years ago. Before that, we were working with the Turks. This strikes me as a deflection from what we're supposed to be talking about, which is a decision that was made two weeks ago to ultimately just abandon a position that we had in northern Syria. And there's no rationalization for it. And we're talking people. about civilian deaths. Obviously, that's important. Okay. Amnesty International says 241 Kurds died in the past week. Because okay, of and, and they are more and important than half a million Syrians, Sam? I understand no, 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 but that Obama's... More important than half a million Syrians? But I'm just saying, I don't... Come on, dude. But just, what? It just seems like a deflection to bring Obama into this one with the discussion it, of Trump's decision. I don't, but again, I'm not sure what Obama could have done short of a full military invasion when we were just in the neighboring country of what Iraq to stop... What are you talking about? Stop we could five... have supported... We could have supported the Syrian people. We well, could have done more the Syri for the, the Syrian for the Syrian people. Who are the people? Which faction? There are so off. many. Which are the the no, moderates? We, the Obama who, who are the Syrian people that we were going to give, give guns to? Because there was a lot of different factions there. Those self-same Kurds we could have supported a long time I, ago I and didn't. I don't, we could have done a lot more for the Syrian Democratic well, Forces. We could have done more for them when they were. Okay. The people, <laughs> the people who really fucked the Kurds before this was George Bush the first. Yes, I, that's I true. Stop. All right. That's true. Sorry. I, I can't stop thinking of. Uh, of this 35-year-old uh, Kurdish politician who was dragged from her car and she was, she was, and she was executed on the side of the road. The Trump terms. made this decision uh, in between rounds of golf. It reminds me of uh, what, what Fitzgerald said in The Great Gatsby. In The Great Gatsby, um, you know, he just smashes everything around him and then he kind of retreats into his money and his vast carelessness and he just lets everybody else clean up the mess. Or not. Or, or not clean up the mess. But... People are dying. Well, I just want you to see... I put together a little mashup here of what Trump said about Syria. Now, I think these folks are politically savvy and they read the paper, they know what went on. A lot of people in this country only listen to Donald Trump. That's all the information they get because the rest is fake news. Here's his version of the week in Syria. This is an incredible outcome. The Kurds and other people are going to be taken great care of. We've gotten everything we could have ever dreamed of. This is a solution that really, well, it saved their lives, frankly. I didn't know it was going to work out this quickly. I didn't know it would work out this well. So this was a great thing for everybody. The Kurds are very happy. Turkey is very happy. The United States is very happy. And you know what? Civilization is very happy. Tough to argue with that. <laughs> it's, what a deal! Uh, Are you happy? I, I, <laughs> I'm not happy. I live in a country where half the people just see that and think that's what happened, huh? I'm not happy. I live in a country where he said it doesn't matter where the ISIS uh, fighters go because that's Europe's problem. I live in France. Right. They're coming. They're coming. Yeah. This way. Like fuck them. Yeah. Not, not like the, not their allies or anything. No. Right. So okay. Um, impeachment. A lot of people are saying that this doesn't 
really affect impeachment? I, I don't know about that. The 55% of independents are now for impeachment. And I think the argument that Ukraine does not equal impeachment got a little harder to make this week, no? Well, I think it matters in, to the degree that Republicans are finding a little bit of a voice to speak out against Trump. Not many of them, but some of them. And to the degree that they aren't admonished by the president and hit back, they get muscle memory. They know that they can speak out against the president, and maybe that translates into something more related to Ukraine and, and the impeachment process. Uh, ultimately, though, this is, you know, a Pelosi-driven decision. Does she want to expand it beyond Ukraine to include things like Trump Doral, for instance, which is a textbook example of an impeachable offense? It's unconstitutional, blatantly. Uh, that's her call. Right now, everything that I've heard from the Hill is they want to keep it very Ukraine-focused. And is that a bad decision? I don't know. I mean, I suppose you can make the case that people are getting it. The polls look pretty promising for Democrats. Tons of momentum and revelations every day. But then there's, like, a moral argument that if you see corruption, if you see lawlessness, don't you have a moral imperative to actually expose that as well? Shouldn't you put that in the grand yeah. process of the impeachment? I mean, that, you talk about the politics of it, and that certainly is important. And for a long time, Trump has been saying, you know, they have to impeach me because they can't beat me at the ballot right. box. But if that's true, why does he always need so much foreign help? Why does... <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? I think... I think the challenge, the, ch the challenge for the Democrats in in adding in right. the Doral decision, which was, I mean, really, not good. No, <laughs> not no, not good. Incomprehensible <laughs> to me. But but the challenge for the Democrats is that the claim that a lot of people have been making is that, and that Trump has been making, and that Trump's allies have been making, is that the last few years have been their effort to find anything to tack on to that. Right. Anything, whether it's Stormy Daniels, or it's his lawyer, or it's... Well, this, he provides or it's a lot of content. But, you know? but, but, but all but those things are impeachable. <laughs> well, I mean, we, but in fact, maybe they are, and that's the decision of the House of Representatives. Right. The point here that I think we're trying to make is that if you keep trying to pile things on, it does diminish the it credibility. Does. It's amazing how that There's works just... for him. <laughs> There's a certain amount of the American population that no matter what he does is not going to budge. Uh, the New York Times has countless articles on Trump voters that just won't give up on them. They just get more right. cynical about well, the I don't know. process. Yep. Because were you being they only see that I, thing I just showed. Because I do think part of his strategy is what you were alluding to early on, which is it's like a fire hose of controversy, and you just don't know what to do with it. And while you're focused on one thing, he acquiesces to Turkey and then decides, you know, Doral's the perfect location for the G7, and you're three steps behind him as he's on to the next controversy. I actually do think so, there's some madness and some strategy to it. I think even for him this week, he had, like, a plethora of crazy, crazy quotes. <laughs> to me, the one everybody sort of missed that was maybe the most important... He met with Schumer and Pelosi right. in the White House, threw a tantrum. They walked out. We heard all about Nancy, you're a third-rate politician, third and this rate. and that. Yeah. It's the thing he said last in that meeting. See you at the polls. Yeah. See you at the polls is what he said to them. In other words, you keep doing this shit. We'll see how it turns out on Election Day. Does he have a point? Well, I think he thinks that impeachment isn't going to go anywhere. I don't, I don't get well, your take on this. He, he's saying, this is going to help me politically. No. Go ahead. Oh, he firmly believes it. Yeah. That wasn't the quote that shocked me, though. The quote that shocked me was, he said, someone told me to call this meeting and so I'm here. The White House had called the meeting. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, did you not, oh, yeah. well, did you not know that? Yeah, no, no, he's not there. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, so everyone in D.C. is talking about the latest IT couple, Igor and Lev. I mean, we, we showed their picture. There they are. These are the two... Uh, they are, uh, I love this term, associates. That Whenever that word comes up, that's never a good thing. Yeah. Associates of Rudy Giuliani. They, were, they have a company called Fraud Guarantee. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't... I, it's, it sounds like something from a Bob Hope sketch. <laughs> we'll call it Fraud Guarantee. Okay, and they also came out this week, own a disco in Ukraine called Mafia Rave. Again, I am not... Mag- this is the website. This is the real thing. Igor and Lev own Mafia Rave. <sighs> and wait, leave that up there, because I want to start the video. They, they, you see there's a little arrow there? I guess we don't. All right, well... <laughs> we, <laughs> is that really the name? There it is, you see? You want me to push that arrow and show you the video? Of, this, is, this is it. This is real. This video is real. I'm a little suspicious of the voiceover, but see what you think. Welcome to Mafia Rave, Ukraine's premier fun time, completely legit nightclub. Whether you are in purple satin shirt or purple velour tracksuit, we treat you like oligarch. Rated five stars on Yelpsky. With music from Putin's favorite band, Poison. Meet girl of your dreams with look and eye that says tonight is night I pee on bed for you. Come see where American President Trump meet wife, twice. Mafia Rave is number one club in Ukraine for collusion. Ask Rudy what happens in Ukraine stays in Ukraine. But no print quo quo, right, buddy? <laughs> All right, here's the host of Nat Geo Star Talk, whose latest bestseller is Letters from an Astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, everybody. Disappoint with the tie. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. You never disappoint with the tie. The universe is how many, vast. How many universe ties do you have? About, uh, like Trump has all the red ones. You have all. He the... occasionally wears a blue one. I have right. noticed, but right. not as often as he wears a red tie. No, but uh, you... so this tie I have about 109. Wow. Yeah. You know it right. What, about 109. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Could be 111. No, it was or... exactly 109. Exactly. You're a very exact person. <laughs> You know, uh, your book is so interesting. I noticed a lot of the letters that people write to you, and this is a lot of the, you know, mm-hmm. you, you care to, you're very good with your fans. You yeah, want to know what they think. It was what I was doing under the hood for decades while right. I had this public persona of talking about the universe. There's right. these personal, private things, that, issues that people had, and they wrote to me about it. Okay, and one of the big ones that you get is people are asking you to sort of mediate between... Gosh, I, I want to believe in God, but I don't want to not believe in science. Is there a way we can square that circle? What, what I, get a lot, you... I get a lot of those letters. And what do you tell them? I like the way you said square that circle. That's very mathematical of you. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, I, I... <laughs> you know me, Doc. I am all about the science. <laughs> so uh, what happens is I think people might be raised in one or another religious tradition, and then they start learning science. Then they find places where the science conflicts. And I think most people have never met a scientist, much less can claim one as their friend. So they see me kind of as their friend who could then offer perspective or at least shine some kind of cosmic luminosity on what next decision they want to make about how to reconcile or not their religious traditions with science. Enlightened religious people don't have an issue. You know, if Jesus is your savior, no one is going to take that away from you in a country that protects free expression of religion. But if you're going to come around and say, 
my religious text tells me the universe is 6,000 years old, and I'm going to stick it in your science classroom. I have an issue with that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because, because... That doesn't really help, though. Well, well, no, no. You're basically saying I'm coming down on the side of science. No, however... Tough shit. However, when people write to me, I see it as a contract of communication. Right. If I just speak and not care where they're coming from, then I'm just lecturing. You're letting them down nicely. (laughs) It's it's like, you know what, people sometimes say, they love this in their mind, they say, everything happens for a reason, which I always think of you, because I'm like, that is so fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Everything does not happen for a right. Am I right about that? That is so correct. Thank you so much. Most of what people think happens for a reason is random, and we create reason in it. Also, it's elitist, because it's something you can say when you live in an affluent society where you have a lot of, you know, enough money to change jobs or meet new people. You live in a city. There's, like, a billion people who live on a shit pile every day, yep. and nothing happens for a reason for them. They're born into grinding party, and they die in poverty, yeah, it, and they it, die it, in it. Definitely an elitist point of view. Thank but what, you. what I wanted to say... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am known to agree with you. There uh, you go. No, no, so I, I just wanted to say that the, the contract I have it's an unstated contract between those me and those who write to me, is that I will care about where they're coming from and how they're thinking and what receptors they might have for arguments I might present. So, for example, in the case of the religious letters, I say there are three truths in the world. There's your personal truth. No one is going to take that from you. Jesus is your savior. Muhammad is your last prophet. These are truths. No one is going to take that from you. Then there's like a political truth. That's just what becomes true when it's repeated enough times, okay? But then there's the objective like truth. Like those first two you just said. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's the objective truth, which are the methods and tools of science are invented and designed to establish. Right. Those are true whether or not you believe in them. And so I say you can keep your 6,000-year universe, but understand that that's a personal truth that you get from your personal religion. If you rise to power and have control over laws and legislations in a pluralistic land, it is a recipe for disaster if you're going to take your personal truths and create laws that have to then apply to everyone. So, the world is... uh, The world is... It's not 6,000 years old, right? It is so not 6,000 okay. years old. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we used to just have to deal with that. In the last few years, we've also had to deal with people who think it might be flat. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I, I, which is stupid. So, so, uh, so, I, so I've said this before. I think the, the rise of the flat earthers is evidence of two things. One, we live in a country that protects free speech. Two, we have a failure of our educational system. So I, I, I don't want to run after all the flat earthers. I'm going to turn around back to the school system and say, where has it failed in such a way that a full-grown adult coming out of this system can think the earth, the earth is flat? That's where I'm focused. I agree. Right. And so you're on the side of a fact is a fact, get over it. I'm on the side that Earth is round. Yes. Right. yes. Okay. <laughs> but I bring this up no, no, because... No, no, wait, wait. Facts can be anywhere. It's this collection of facts which, when put together in wise and sage ways, become knowledge. But, so I'd rather speak of right. knowledge than facts. But I bring this up because yeah. you got into some hot water recently. There was a mass shooting. You tweeted something about it, which was true. Yeah. Okay, if we're going to be facts or facts, yeah. people. I defended you, by the way. Yeah, I did catch that on, 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 online. Yeah, I caught that. Well, where was my thank you note? You could have reached out a little. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so... Okay, anyway, 
my point being, you, what you said was true. Yes. Okay. Uh, you weren't trying to... You even said uh, the USA horrifically... Lo- you went out of your way to be nice about it and then said, but the fact is that on average... Across any 48 hours, we lose 500 to medical errors, 300 to the flu, blah, blah, blah. Our emotions respond more to spectacle than to data. Now, I know what it's like to have the Twitter mob come after you. Yeah. I don't blame you for Apollo. I get it. I have to do But you were right. Facts uh, matter. They, they do matter. Uh, However, so do emotions. We are emotion, we're an emotional species. Well, so... so so were I to do that again, I, I would have put some, t- some, some distance, time distance, between that tweet, to, because people are, okay. b- are bereaved. Right. And so I wanted to have some... Sent- I, All right. Retrospectively, that's what I would have done. All right. I want to ask about an explorer, because I know you want to go to Mars. We're not going to have that fight again, as we always do. Don't get me started. Uh, don't get I me Mars started. Right I okay, know... Mars in the face, right, right there. Okay. Well. I bring Mars wherever I go. Okay, what? Talk about a shithole country, Mars is <laughs> it. I mean, honestly, if we're going to make... All right, we're not going to have that argument again, but... So you admire the explorers, as we all do. We had Columbus Day earlier mm-hmm. this week. Okay. An explorer extraordinaire, you would agree? We would all agree as an explorer? He's an important explorer, yes. Uh, but, but, sure. Yes, yeah. or else we'd be doing this show in Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would Probably. be so much better. Yeah. <laughs> For you, yes. Uh, and, I mean, the balls to get on the ocean when they did... They thought it was flat, the world. Well, his, his crew, but not him. He, he was smart enough to know. Yeah. That the world was not flat. Was not, fl- was not okay. flat, yeah. But yeah. still, in that little rickety boat, it's less the size of the... It's like the size of this room... <laughs> And it, it took it to, audacity. Uh, yes. Unbelievable balls. No question so, about uh, it. So was he an asshole? And gonads, yes. You know, okay. I, probably to have that kind of balls, you're not going to be Mr. Nice Guy all the time. So, of course, a lot of people say we should tear down his statues and blah, 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 because he brought diseases, and he did. I read in Jill Lepore's book, Haiti had three million people before the Europeans came, and then it was 5,000. So, okay, disease, he didn't try to do that. And then slaves. He took slaves. But so did our founding fathers. The Bible is cool with slaves. Neither Jesus nor his dad, God, are against them. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's not his dad? I'm not touching this one. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just saying... He was a 15th century man. The founders had slaves. The Bible had slaves. R. Kelly still has them. <laughs> you, you, I'm just saying. <laughs> Columbus Day, weigh in, discuss. I'm not touching this one either. Really? <laughs> I think we need, to, we, need to, we need to be aware of the past of past atrocities, and we need to be sensitive yes. to it. But I think we're But almost... they weren't. We're almost overdosing on history. We're, we're mining the past constantly for fresh outrage. Yes. I don't think Christopher Columbus should be canceled. I think we have to have <laughs> a society you. that's mature enough to handle moral ambiguity. Uh, nice to hear yeah. that. Yes. I, I have a, uh, yes? I have an unorthodox perspective yes, please. on Columbus Day. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it was, uh, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand mm-hmm. sent the man to the New World. Okay. And they gave him a satchel of flags that were Spanish flags and put them wherever you come. So I don't know why Columbus Day to this day is celebrated by Italians. 
they had nothing to do with his voyage. <laughs> it's, it's, it should be and, and if they did, more people than just a few in Brooklyn would be speaking Italian in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> um... I hadn't really thought that one through. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to put that in perspective. Okay, yeah. all right. What? Uh, <laughs> so, can I ask about this Democratic debate that we had the other night? First of all, these debates. Now it's 12 people. A little too many. It, it's like, it, I, I can't, there's too many characters. It's, it's like, uh, you know, some... Bill, show- you can count to 12. I don't understand <laughs> what the problem is. But, but, but I don't... It's like a, a, a Netflix show... Not that I ever watch Netflix. Uh, <laughs> where you have to binge it for three seasons before it gets good. I mean, can we, can we get it down to a reasonable number of people? And also, I, you know, Joe Biden, I, I don't know. This whole thing for me was that he could be the one to beat Trump. Right. I don't know if that's true anymore. I'm not sure that's true anymore either. I think a lot of people have doubts about whether Joe Biden can do it. So that's why Elizabeth Warren's on top right now. And what do you think about that? If it was Trump versus Warren, what's your vote go to? It, it doesn't go to Elizabeth Warren or Donald Trump. So you'd sit it out. I don't, can I, can I, I don't understand you guys? that, to be honest. The never-Trump people, I don't know if... Are you technically a never-Trumper? No. no. Okay, well, putting well, you aside, if you're, you. if you're a never-Trumper, <laughs> if you're a never-Trumper, I hear this a lot, they... They really hate Trump, but they just can't bring themselves to vote for Elizabeth Warren. It's like, well, if, then you're somewhat Trump. You know, you're like, you, you either have to go all in or not. And if you feel very strongly that Trump shouldn't be the president, there are other ways to, you know, box in a president Elizabeth Warren. Vote for a Republican senator, Republican congressman. But if you want Trump out, you have to go fully in. And you can't have it halfway, I feel Yeah, but like. I want to put some... I have a question for the three of you. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have... I, I'm just a scientist. Uh, but when I look at this field of 12, yeah. the Democrats can get together, vote in a primary, and they take the polls of likely voting Democrats, and we m- might pick the one we like the best. Mm-hmm. What, is, what, is it, what would it mean if the one we like the best is not the one most likely to be able to beat Trump? Well, that's, who is the, that's, that's, that's what we're dealing that's with. That's right. Yeah. Wait, but how do we define who's most likely to beat Trump? And where are we going? We don't well, know that. Yeah, we exactly. never that's know what the dog wants until you put it on the floor. But the point here is that... that what? <laughs> what does that even mean? What, I have I a mean, serious you never answer know to this the, question. Uh, my friends used to play this game called What Will Many Eat First? <laughs> No, at a party, they would take four <laughs> bits of food from the different food, and they'd put it on the plate, and everyone would bet on what the dog would eat first. <laughs> and I never okay. won that bet. You'd think the hot dog, he's going to go for that. No, we ate the cracker first. <laughs> and then I'd bet on the cracker, and the next time he would eat the fucking ham first. Never I mean, played that play game up in the hood. You don't I'm know what sorry. the voters want until... That's how we got Trump. No okay. one thought he could win. But that is... That, the, the reason that we got Trump is the same reason that we have this problem in the, in, with the Democrats, which is that the primary system used to be the closed-door, right. back-room, smoke-filled room where guys tried to pick the one who was going to win. Who would beat the opponent. Right. Yes. Now it's a very different system, and the passionate, passionate people in the base are the ones who choose who's going to be their candidate. So Joe Biden has a little Ukraine problem, too. You know, he didn't answer that question too well, I thought, in the debate. He didn't own it. His son was getting 50 grand a month to do nothing in a field he knew nothing about. It's very swampy. My question is this. Al Franken had to go away for the Democrats 
because they said, well, we have to be like Caesar's wife on the Me Too issue. We can't have any tainting on that so that the Republicans can't say, oh, you guys are bad on that, too. Doesn't the same apply to Ukraine and Joe Biden? I think they're different issues, uh, but I get your point. And I think liberals do a disservice if they just excuse what Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were up to. I don't think it rises to the level of what Trump's no, doing. No, it's not, of course. But, but neither did Al Frank. Of course. Something clearly, there was a clear issue where Hunter Biden got a job primarily, almost exclusively, because of his father's time in politics. There's no almost. Exclusively, exclusively. And and if you think that that's fine, well, it's not. I mean, there's something unseemly about it, and it's access. It's somewhat pay for play. And I think that liberals, again, are not doing a real service to themselves if they just try to sweep this under the rug. Who's Kennedy's attorney general? It yeah. was Robert. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Robert was, was at least, he was at least qualified <laughs> to be attorney general. Thank, thank you so much for saying that. You but, did, that's not your team, and you're right. Yeah. Yes. He was qualified. <laughs> not it's not like a bunker. It's not like Bobby Kennedy was a purse designer. But, <laughs> but isn't this... But isn't this the problem? <laughs> But isn't this the prob- a growing problem that we have that isn't just Hunter Biden? Why is, you know, why is Chelsea Clinton, uh, you know, it, it, right. up at the front? Why are any I of these this a couple of weeks ago. Tell your fucking kids to get a real job. <laughs> All right. Thank you, panel. I got to go to New Rules, everybody. New Rules. New rule to the woman who got vomit in her hair on a Spirit Airlines flight and had to wash her hair in an airplane bathroom. What did you expect? You're flying Spirit from Chicago to Baltimore. You're lucky you're alive. (laughs) I'm just saying, when you book a flight that costs $89, you're subconsciously accepting the fact that you may get a little vomit in your hair. You just happen to get a lot. (laughs) New rule, if Kim Jong-un wants to be taken seriously on the world stage, he's got to delegate the job of corn inspector to someone else. Here he is inspecting the corn. Here he is pleased with the quality. Here he is realizing they keep showing him the same corn year after year. Yes, Kim, that's the bad news. That's all the corn there is in North Korea. The good news is, because of all these photo ops of you with corn, you've moved up to third in the Iowa caucus. (laughs) (laughs) Neural dispensaries need to stop acting like the highs from different marijuana are so radically different. (laughs) This one's good for being social. This one's a mellow... You know, they don't do that at a liquor store. Hi, what sort of drunk are you looking for today? I recommend this one for calling old girlfriends. And the Chianti is nice for sobbing about your father. Of course, if you're looking to call your mother-in-law a whore, I'd stick with brown liquor. Same goes for if you're looking to let the gay guy in your building blow you. And and for anything like falling asleep on the kitchen floor or... (laughs) or putting a pizza in the oven and forgetting about it, 
you have to try our malt liquor. <laughs> now, now, if if this is a really special night and you're thinking of walking up to the Taco Bell drive-through window. <laughs> I would recommend a sweet wine, and of course, vodka is always great for getting a tattoo of a rocket that looks like a dick. <laughs> New rule, now that we have Doritos with names like Flamin' Hot, Blaze, and Jacked, how about a version for those of us with a more refined culinary palate? I want to see something like Doritos Subtly Seasoned. <laughs> or Doritos with a flavor, or <laughs> Doritos light and unprepossessing. <laughs> oh, hell, let's just call it what it is. Doritos Caucasian. <laughs> New rule, the people who were shocked to see this Australian man jogging a popular trail in a pink thong and work boots must give the guy credit. That's what we call an old-school creep. He could easily be at home on the computer, masturbating on chat roulette or sending dick pics, but he chose to put on his boots, go outside, and make people uncomfortable the old-fashioned way. <laughs> and finally, new rule, it's time somebody called out Donald Trump for something he's doing that I don't think anyone has caught on to yet. He's a big liar. No, I mean it. Hear me out. Hear me out. When he announced he was running the first time, he said... I don't need anybody's money. I'm using my own money. I'm not using donors. I don't care. I'm really rich. <laughs> but he's not really rich. And he's used plenty of other people's money. 90% of his 2016 campaign was funded by other people's money. His whole reason for being there is a lie. This notion of, I can't be bought because I have so much money, I don't care about money anymore. No, the exact opposite is true. The man is constantly for sale. That wasn't toilet paper on his shoe, it's a price tag. He grubs for every penny. He wasn't above cheating his charity. Trump University was a pyramid scheme. He just put a G7 meeting in one of his golf clubs. There is not a dollar he has ever left on the table since he took office. He's worried about Ukrainian corruption? The only time corruption bothers Donald Trump is when he's not in on it. If your country pays in cash... Saudi Arabia pays cash. You can literally get away with murder. You know... <clears throat> even I have a little money history with this guy. Remember, Mr. President, 2013, when you sued me? Because I publicly offered you five million dollars if you could prove you were not the son of an orangutan. <laughs> he remembered it. <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> but when you heard five million dollars, 
like a bum who chases a dollar on the sidewalk tied to a string. <laughs> you could not resist chasing it into court. Well, you lost that one. But tonight... Hold a second. Tonight, I want to give you another chance to get some money out of me. Now, you and I have been going back and forth on whether you will leave office if you lose the election. I mean, you have one guy on television. I'm telling you, he's not leaving. He's going to win, and then he's not leaving. So in 2024, he won't leave. I'm telling you, this is a serious person. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Serious person to serious person. I will bet you a million dollars right now that if you lose the 2020 election, I'm right and you won't leave. What am I saying? This is Donald Trump we're talking about. Like he'd ever pony up, even if he lost a bet. That would involve two things he's never done. Admit defeat and pay a bill. Okay, so... Okay, so... Forget the bet. I got a better idea. How about this? Just take my check for $1 million, my check for a million, and I bet I could get another 1,000 people just from here to the beach, including Malibu, of course, (laughs) who would pay that much to see you resign. To those out there who are saying, my God, Bill, are you suggesting we pay this man to go away? (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what I'm suggesting. In fact, I'm insisting. (laughs) Celebrities do nothing but waste their money on stupid, stupid, crazy shit like castles and jewel-encrusted crucifixes and shark tanks and private islands. Here's something they could spend on and know it was doing some good. Let's... Let's speak to Donald Trump in the only language he has ever really understood. My whole life has been money. I want money. I want money. Greedy. I was greedy. Greedy. I want more money, more money. (laughs) It's not like he was hiding it. It goes back to his childhood. From the moment his father created his first teenage shell company. Money. Money. Money makes Donnie a winner. Daddy loves good boy who gets money. So, so, Mr. President, it's really very simple. You love money. We hate you. (laughs) Take the money. Take our money. You could finally be the billionaire you always pretended you were. Yes, I said billionaire, because the kind of money I could get from just off the top of my head, Oprah, Cher, Madonna, Gaga, Bono, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Pink, Rihanna, Usher, Pharrell, Eminem, and that's just the ones with one name. Singers, actors, athletes, everyone fucking hates you. (laughs) 
Here's a list of every single person in show business. <laughs> This is a list of every single person in show business with the names of those who do not hate you crossed out. (laughs) Finally, let us not forget the millions and millions of not-so-rich and famous people who despise you, too. (laughs) Americans of modest means who would happily chip in five, ten, twenty bucks or pawn their wedding rings, whatever it took. And that's why tonight I am formally announcing the formation of my national crowdfunding platform to bribe President Trump to leave. (laughs) I mean, sir, win. (laughs) And we call it Prickstarter. (laughs) All right, that's our show. I'll be at the Blaisdell in Honolulu New Year's Eve and at the Paramount in Seattle January 25th. I want to thank Sam Stein, Thomas Chatterson Williams, Daniel Pletka... Neil deGrasse Tyson and Susan Rice. Stay tuned for Overtime on YouTube. Thank you. Catch all new episodes of Real Time with Bill Maher every Friday night at 10. Or watch him anytime on HBO On Demand. For more information, log on to HBO.com.